Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the Dogs Program. The Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools is here every Saturday to defend and to promote public education, and that is education that is public in purpose and outcome. Above all, it's publicly available to every child. Every child in this country has the right to a first-rate education because, after all, we all pay taxes and the government seems to want to make sure that the poorest pay the most taxes through an extension of the GST. So those of us who are perhaps amongst the poorest in the community have the most interest financially in a good education for our children because we are the ones paying the taxes. People who are wealthy in this country are wealthy because they don't pay taxes. However, uh, we have a very interesting article for you this week, our press release 631 on our website at www.adogs.info. And this is it. The Ravenswood captain, Sarah Haynes, on elite schools where more value is placed on those who provide good publicity or financial benefits. The captain of an elite school in Sydney's Upper North Shore went off script to tell it as it is in the elite school's bubble of business-like operations with an image that she said could be unhealthy. The question for taxpayers about this issue is, should our millions be going to an elite school which charges parents 28000 for per year for an unrealistic education in which images mean more than realities? Parents may be stupid to spend unwisely on elite schools, but should taxpayers like you and I be constantly asked to send good money after bad? when good money should be put into good public schools, not bad elitist ones. But back to Sarah Haynes. Her sister was expelled earlier in the year, and it's rather difficult from the uh, veiled references in the media to work out why. There was something about the bullying of a year eight girl, but it it seems that um, Sarah Haynes' sister was caught up in all of this, and uh, the family were not entirely happy with what was meted out to her. And no one has really been saying why she was expelled or whether 
and this is much more important, of course, for the girl, she had a local public school to go to as an alternative, where no doubt she would have received a much better education. But Sarah wrote two end-of-year valedictory addresses. She wrote one for the school census and the other one which she gave. And then her speech went viral on the internet. Here it is. I wrote two speeches today, just so I would be able to say that Ravo isn't perfect. I've given a fair few speeches in my lifetime, but once I became school captain, everything I ever wrote had to be sent and censored by those higher up than me. I thought that this was something normal, as all other Ravo captains had to do it, but what I learned was not all school captains had to do it. I was never trusted to say the right thing, which I found kind of silly because if I wanted to say something audacious like I am today, I could always have sent someone a different speech. Anyway, early this year I was speaking at an open day. I was selling the school, which used to be something I loved to do because I loved everything about Rainbow. I thought I'd be really clever and try and include the school motto in there. So I concluded my speech with, Rainbow isn't perfect but we're always towards better things. I sent this to those in charge of me and received a reply, great speech, but change the ending. No parent wants to hear that the school isn't perfect. Now I'm very sorry to all the parents here today, but Ravenswood isn't perfect, and I'm sure you already know that. I want to be clear again that I'm not saying anything to merely get back at the school, I just want to be honest and share one of the greatest lessons I've learned at school. Nothing is perfect, and nothing should be expected to be perfect. As my main gal, Hannah Montana, said, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has those days. But how often do we really recognise and believe this? If a school can't admit it isn't perfect, then how can they expect an extraordinary adolescent girls to realise that perfection is unattainable? Before 2015, I really do think I looked at Ravenswood through glassy eyes, seeing its wondrous perfection that it wants to sell everyone. Some people work hard and get noticed and good on them, but some people work hard, struggle and get overlooked. I don't know how to run a school, but it seems to me that today's schools are being run more and more like businesses, where everything becomes financially motivated where more value is placed on those who provide good publicity or financial benefits. Perhaps this is a naive view. Perhaps this has become a necessary evil in today's society. But either way, I'd love to see Rainbow work towards something better, where each member of the school feels valued equally, as they should be. Well, that was interesting, wasn't it? In our press release, we just remind you of some of the things she said. She said that she wrote two speeches today, just so I would be able to say that Ravo isn't perfect. Then she said something to the effect that everything I wrote had to be censored by those higher up than me. I was never trusted to say the right thing. And then she said, I sent this to those in charge of me and I received a reply. Great speech, but change the ending because no parent wants to hear that the school isn't perfect.
So when a parent pays 28000 plus, 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 of course, for all the add-ons for uh, an education of their girl for a year, um, they don't want to be told that what they're buying isn't perfect. And she also said, and I think this is the most important thing she said, I don't know how to run a school, but it seems to me that today's schools are being run more and more like businesses where everything becomes financially motivated, where more value is placed on those who provide good publicity or financial benefits. A very insightful young lady. And then she said, if the school can't admit it isn't perfect, how can they expect adolescent girls to realise that perfection is unattainable? She also said the image that the school tries to project isn't real. Well, if one's education doesn't teach you about the real world, as well perhaps as the imaginary world, but certainly the real world, uh, then one wonders what it's about. The school also left her feeling hurt and betrayed and although her speech was not a personal vendetta resulting from the circumstances surrounding her sister's departure from Ravenswood, she still hoped the school would learn from the errors in the same way that it expected students. She ended up saying that we learn from mistakes and the only dangerous thing about mistakes, which she thinks Ravenswood might have lost sight of in the last year, is not being able to recognise and admit to them. Now, the, her speech received a standing ovation from the students who made sure that it went on YouTube, obviously, and some of the parents also but uh, the reaction from the staff was reserved. And uh, the public education advocate, Jane Caro, to do her justice, uh, congratulated the girl. She said the school should be proud of Mrs Haynes' integrity in addressing its shortcomings because it has actually managed to produce somebody who is has got a critical mind and doesn't just lie down and take what's coming to her. Uh, but she points out that she's right in saying that when parents choose to send their children to these schools, what they're buying is prestige, brand, image and status. And when someone calls that into question, it raises the question of what exactly the school is really offering for the money. Well, uh, I'm afraid the dogs think that the money would be much better spent on a good public school. But uh, there were some very interesting comments on all of this. Not only did the uh, speech go viral, but there were plenty of comments. And we'll get Dale to refer to a few of these. Thanks, Jean. Uh, the first comment I've got here is from Jim Harkin from Engadine. I would have been proud to have had an articulate and intelligent Sarah Haynes as school captain at the large public girls' school where I was principal in the 1980s and 90s. She would have had the opportunity to raise concerns at many regular formal and informal discussions with me and other staff during the year. I find it incomprehensible that her concerns have had to be held back until a final occasion in the school year. We all need to reflect there are nearly always more adult citizens of Australia in Year 12 than there are on staff, and it is important that the culture of the school reflect this. Building mutual respect is far better than any approval or censorship process. 
And John Cotterell says, Sarah Haynes displayed great courage and maturity in her end-of-year captain's address. Her honest insights should not have been discouraged in a misguided attempt to protect a fallacy that a perfect school exists at Ravenswood. Instead, her constructive criticisms should have been respected and embraced. A better school can evolve from her speech. And Chris Love from Warunga says, uh, Your front page story reminds me just how many people are prepared to pay whatever is asked for the prestige and status of an elite private school. And being a long-time resident of the Upper North Shore, I've had ample opportunity to observe just how wealthy these schools are. The school across the road is currently spending a fortune on adding to its stock of tennis courts. A few years ago, it applied to appropriate a nearby council oval because it wanted to spend millions to build an all-weather running track around the outside of it. Thankfully, the proposal did not succeed. How much money do elite private schools have? Answer, more than they know what to do with. They, uh, private schools in Australia have more money than they know what to do with while our public schools go begging and um, look as if they're going to be cut and cut and cut again in spite of Gonski's uh, report, uh, possibly because of the tax system. Because, you see, wealthy people like Mr Turnbull, make sure that their money is offshore. But there was a very interesting article the next day, uh, that's December the 8th, about the ATO, that's the Australian Tax Office, which is under pressure to find money from anywhere by Mr Morrison, has been targeting private school parents hiding secret offshore money. And under the heading, the tax that gets away, tens of billions of dollars in potential tax revenue escapes each year. And this is partly because there are big concessions and the government, if they really had the political will, could rake it back. They might have to have a good look at Mr Turnbull in the process. Now, more than 100 parents who had private school fees up to $100,000 a year paid from overseas bank accounts will be contacted by the Australian Taxation Office this week following concerns that the accounts are being used to stash secret funds. I mean, if you've got that sort of money... Stashed away. You've got more. So you've got more money stashed away, haven't you? That's what they're arguing. So they've targeted a hundred of these people, but one one is under the impression there's considerably more. So the ATO is trying to continue its crackdown on wealthy individuals with hidden income and assets offshore, in spite of the fact, of course, that they have been cut way past the bone. Uh, and um, they have got rid of a lot of their expertise in the process. But this time that they're trying to get some money from the wealthy, it's parents at some of the nation's most prestigious private schools who are under watch. Now, the Australian Tax Office hasn't only contacted the parents, they've also contacted 60 private schools as well as identified these 100 parents Wouldn't you like to know who they were who might be stashing secret money offshore? 
And this new wave of action to combat offshore evasion follows a recent amnesty that the ATO gave to Australians with money and or assets offshore. So they uh, took up the amnesty and now the ATO is looking more carefully at them. We've been joining the dots on a lot of the information gathered, the ATO Deputy Commissioner Michael Cranston said. I wonder, dear listeners, where Mr Turnbull and most of our politicians send their children and how many of them, like Mr Turnbull, have got the money stashed offshore. And we know where we're offshore too. Of course, it's all of the islands that are tax havens and it's Ireland. Ireland, of course, is a very good tax haven for a large number of very wealthy people. So uh, the agency will... They've got out a press release, obviously, and they're going to be doing something. It's already They have already contacted the 60 private schools, but we're not getting a list of those. <laughs> Instead of the school fees coming out of the parents' account directly, however, it was coming out of an offshore account that was linked to the parent. And what we've been seeing is private school fees being paid from offshore identities. That's what the ATO has identified. And the amounts per parent were up to 100000 per year, but the offshore accounts that are being used to pay the private school fees may be concealing much larger amounts of money, which amount, of course, to millions and even billions. Well, uh, my own experience as a taxman is that the uh, politicians only ever go for the minnows. They don't go for the big boys, but they have been they have been netting in a little bit with their amnesty. They actually raised one hundred and twenty seven million, which for us ordinary people sounds like a lot, uh, but uh, they received five thousand eight hundred disclosures. Uh, and they realised that there was $5.4 billion in assets just with these, uh, this, these minnows coming out of the woodwork. Um, and uh, they found that there was more than $600 million of admitted income disclosed. So that's the tip, obviously, of a much bigger uh, iceberg. Uh, they have raised more than $245 million in additional tax revenue liabilities and so far they've managed to get in $127 million. I suppose uh, if they've got good lawyers, a lot of these people will be questioning uh, the taxation department. But where do they put their money? Now, this is interesting. This was just the amnesty of the people who came forward so that they could get... Um, a little bit off their tax liabilities. Uh, the amnesty revealed that the top jurisdictions where income was stashed included Switzerland, Britain, Liechtenstein, Hong Kong and Singapore. Uh, and although the amnesty has offered significantly reduced penalties and ended in December 2014... The ATO is very happy that they can backdate assessments to four years. But, of course, some of these could go back for for decades. And uh, once again, I'm wondering whether or not they're having a good look at Mr Turnbull, who actually admits to being wealthy and admits to having stashed his cash overseas. So uh, there are 
international treaties. And Australia is not the only uh, jurisdiction, of course, that has been sold a dud by uh, all of these uh, taxation minimisation schemes, which, by the way, have been going on since the 1970s. And those of our listeners who have any kind of a memory will remember how the uh, establishment went after Justice Murphy in the 1980s, 1986. And he himself always said it was because of the Alcoa case, because he blew the whistle on the transfer pricing schemes. Uh, The transfer pricing schemes are a nice little uh, arrangement whereby Alcoa sold its uh, aluminium for a loss to an office, a girl in an office in Hong Kong, and she sold it on to China for a nice big profit. So since in Australia they had had a loss, they paid less than no tax. And those transfer pricing schemes have not gone away. And, of course, Alcoa is in the news again because it is uh, breaking our uh, seamen, isn't it? We're not going to have uh, any kind of a merchant navy anymore. So I just do hope that the uh, people in Canberra don't get us into a war or anything like that, although they seem to like to have jackboots on. So there was a lot of comments about this, and some of the comments were very interesting. Uh, They, uh, for example, some people claim that, well, of course, some of these offshore bank accounts might be uh, bank accounts for our international students, and we should be very wary about uh, prodding too quick, too closely into these. Um, but uh, as somebody else pointed out, there are far more purchases from overseas bank accounts than private school fees. Maybe the ATO should have a look at property, shares, cars, boats, etc. So they're wondering why uh, the private school fees are of interest. Um, so about time, one person says, this has been going on forever. My last child graduated school 11 years ago and it was common knowledge about parents paying fees out of offshore accounts to avoid taxes. The, riches, the rich are always looked after by both sides of government. And of course, in the last week, we have seen how the Labor Party was happy to pass amendments to uh, the tax uh, legislation. Uh, You don't have to uh, reveal your income if you're a corporation that only makes $200 in profit. But um, those of us who've been around a bit longer uh, are not surprised. Now, there's uh, some other very interesting material as well. But we'll have a bit of a break now for some music.
Well, that was um, a genie, another genie from me, of course, uh, who's got a voice, uh, and uh, wasn't she lovely? Jeannie Kelso. And her, her work was uh, organised by David Kinsella. So we have a lot of talent from Australia and from our public schools. Now, there's a very interesting article uh, in the New South Wales Teachers Federation. They've always been very good. And Marion Mulheron has got a very interesting uh, talk uh, that he's written up from, from the president uh, on their website on public losses, private profits and a proud premier. And he is here talking, of course, about the absolute debacle that privatisation of public education has had in the TAFE sector. So uh, in the next uh, few minutes, we'd like to talk about uh, what has been happening in Australia with the privatisation and the debacle that we're looking at, and then compare it with what's been going on in England, where there are the same kind of um, debacles. <laughs> Sorry to use the word, but I can't think of another one. Uh, but I'm going to ask Dale to read uh, Maury Malheron's uh, article. Thanks, Jean. Yes, uh, as Jean mentioned, it's entitled Public Losses, Private Profits and a Proud Premier. He likes his alliteration. Imagine an Australian institution that was once the envy of much of the world... Imagine that for every taxpayer dollar it received, it returned six times as much to the economy. Imagine an institution that was once available to all Australians, regardless of where they lived, their ability or their capacity to pay. Imagine an institution that was the engine room of training, skills and employment. Imagine an institution that directly or indirectly benefited every Australian. Imagine an institution that provided a second chance to countless numbers of Australians who, without it, might never have gained work or an education. Now, imagine that Australian politicians have deliberately set out to destroy that institution. This is what has happened to our TAFE system in New South Wales and in other states since the Council of Australian Governments, COAG, meeting in April 2012. Governments have conspired to destroy TAFE by redirecting VET funding away from the public provider and handing it to private colleges that operate on a for-profit basis. The the their profits are generated by a combination of government funding, money that's been cut from TAFE, exorbitant fees and student debt. We are witnessing, in essence, a dramatic transfer of public wealth to private profit through a contestable funding model in which TAFE and other providers compete for funding in a vocational and training sector version of The Hunger Games. A University Sydney study released earlier this year revealed that the profit margin of the publicly listed for-profit private colleges is about 30%. That means for every public dollar these colleges receive from the government, 30 cents goes directly to shareholders. 
there's no cap on the amount of funding that's made contestable. In states like Victoria and South Australia, the level of guaranteed funding for TAFE has dropped to around 25%. In New South Wales, the last of the states to fully implement the model, the level of contestable funding is increasing each month and is predicted to be almost 50% by the start of 2016. The language of TAFE management reflects a brave new world, whereas once TAFE enrolled students, now it attracts clients. A TAFE college once had a guaranteed budget, now it generates income. The recently released New South Wales TAFE 2050 annual report has revealed the extent of the devastation. In June 2012, TAFE New South Wales employed 15,822 teachers and support staff. By June 2015, this had dropped to 11,177. In three years, TAFE New South Wales has made 4,645 teachers and support staff redundant. At a critical time of high youth unemployment and growing skills shortage, the policy of the New South Wales government has been to dismiss teachers, cut courses, close colleges, sell off assets and then transfer the savings to for-profit college owners. The policy is called smart and skilled. The mounting debt that is now forced on students and their families is growing at an exponential rate. The amount of government funding available through Vet Fee Help has grown from $25 million in 2009 to more than $1.6 billion in 2014. If this trend continues, it if this trend continues, the total vet fee help debt for 2015 will exceed $4 billion. Who does vet fee help actually help? Certainly the owners of private profit-driven colleges are helped. More than 75% of this student debt from vet fee help goes directly to the private vet, vet sector. Just think what that $4 billion could have done for public education. The mind boggles. The mind boggles. boggles. Mm. This is when the market ideology just takes precedent over common sense. And and Sarah Haynes mentioning it in her speech, you know, she says it's as though. No, it very much is. It is. (laughs) And and back to it. Uh, Okay, so... So uh, more than 75% of the student debt from vet fee help goes directly to the private vet sector. The first lie is that vocational training is a commodity that can be bought in a competitive marketplace by consumers. Education and training is an experience that can only be judged as to its worth and quality after the course. So what is the worth and quality of the private for-profit colleges? A recent report compiled by the Australian Education Union is revealing. The Australian Competition and Consumer Commission has launched action against two colleges. The Australian Careers Network, which runs the Phoenix Institute 
faces charges brought by the ACCC, which include the college paying an unemployed man $100 to assist at enrolling others in a public housing estate in its courses. The ACCC alleges that Phoenix also enrolled a woman on disability support pension living in, a public, living in public housing despite being told she could not undertake the course. Since ACN acquired Phoenix in January 2015, the amount of funding obtained under Vet Fee Help jumped from $1.9 million in 2014 to $106 million. This is far from an isolated case. The first stock exchange listed for private listed private for-profit college Vocation Limited is now under administration. The owner of the Training College Australian Institute of Professional Education with a college in Surrey Hills boasted to a Senate inquiry earlier this year that his company represented the best of the industry. The City Morning Herald in, on November 30th reported that the Australian Skills Quality Authority, ASQA, was threatening to cancel its registration and the, AI, the AIPE had until December 2nd to respond to complaints that it was enrolling students in courses without their knowledge or permission and had used third parties to induce students into courses and was not necessarily providing accurate information regarding fees. The Sydney Morning Herald reports that this year AIPE received $104 million of federal funding. Last year it received $110 million, yet only 117 AIPE students graduated in 2014. Fairfax Media has alleged door-to-door salesmen for other training colleges have signed up vulnerable welfare recipients for online diploma courses costing $20,000. Perhaps the final word belongs to the New South Wales Premier, Mike Baird, in an answer to a question in Parliament. What the government is accomplishing in in the TAFE sector and the VET sector, more broadly, is something of which we are very proud. Yes, it's a long, sad, sorry story. Mm. And the really sad thing about it is that you're dealing here with young people, young people's lives and young people's debts. Uh, And uh, they're dealing, our government is dealing with our money. Uh, I think if Robert was here, he would just use one word. It's called (laughs) corruption. (sighs) Now, uh, the... New South Wales Teachers Federation are on to other things too in this area. They are warning of what happens when you privatise education and they have done some work on what is happening with a very big multinational American company. We've heard about them before, Pearson PLC. Uh, And there's a very politically powerful Ayala group uh, working in the Philippines and they are employing untrained teachers for low wages Mm. in a for-profit chain of low-cost private schools in that country. And uh, it's it's also a long, sad, sorry tale. Low-cost, actually, is the misleading term because, in reality, the fees that are paid 
a significant proportion of a family's income in the Philippines. <clears throat> so they have this edu business model, which has been implemented by uh, these uh, Pearson people, and it involves a number of cost-cutting techniques designed to minimise production costs while increasing rates of profitability. These have the undesirable effects on teaching and learning, and there's been a report done on it. Uh, there's been 2014 research which indicates that since 2009, Philippines government allocations to education service contracting and government assistance to students and teachers in private education has increased to nearly $700 million in that country, which is a lot of money for the Philippines. And it's noted that money could have financed the construction of more than 60,000 classrooms and addressed the perennial backlogs in public school classrooms by housing approximately 3 million more students. Now, these private school people in the Philippines represent a corporate strategy designed to manufacture cheap and flexible labour required by Ayala in the Philippines and other multinational companies through its provision of privatised basic education that aligns with the labour needs of the industry. Uh, by reverse engineering its curriculum, we're told, uh, they intend to produce graduates of a particular disposition <laughs> with specific skills, values and knowledge that can be employed in the global labour market. In particular, they aim to address the skills shortage in the call centre industry in the Philippines by focusing on English communication skills. Well, guess what? They're doing a lousy job because I don't know how many people, how many phone calls you've had from people in the Philippines and you really can't understand the English they're speaking. You feel very sorry for them. It's a lousy job, but you have to put down the phone because you don't know what on earth they are saying. Uh, now, Pearson holds the contract for marking NAPLAN examinations in New South Wales. So you're dealing with a multinational company that is taking our taxpayers' funds to make profits in the education business, which uh, we started off with. The girl at Ravenswood is waking up that this is what education has been reduced to. That Companies like Pearson are also going beyond textbook retailing because uh, they have a lot of their own textbooks, which, of course, they sell in their schools, to establish for-profit schooling, developing and selling test products to governments and then in an extraordinary conflict of interest, selling solutions based on the data that they generate. And this behaviour has already been the subject of questions in the New South Wales Parliament. I don't think by Mr Beard. I think you would find that this has been the subject of questions by John Kay, Dr John Kay, who is one of the Greens in the um, New South Wales Parliament. Now, the Chair of the Teacher Education Director of Learning and Teaching at the University of Melbourne, Professor Stephen Dynam, sounds the warning. Publishers, he says, are now moving into large-scale vertical integration whereby they have commercial involvement with curricula, teaching resources, teaching standards, teaching development and appraisal and student testing, in effect gaining control of the entire education supply chain. How interesting. I wonder if uh, Kevin Donnelly uh, is onto this. 
uh, be very interesting to hear what Kevin Donnelly actually has to say about this since he's one of these wonderful uh, uh, curriculum experts. Well, in the worst of both worlds, how the US and UK are influencing education in Australia, Professor Dynam writes, says, a tsunami comprises waves with very long wavelengths. Often these go unnoticed until it's too late to do anything about them. When they reach land, great devastation can result. The long wave changes to education need to be subjected to intense scrutiny before it's too late. If the profession remains silent and passive in the face of some of these developments, it will have itself to blame, at least in part, for what might eventuate. How interesting. Since 1964, the dogs have been talking about the privatisation wave. It started when state aid was given to private schools. And out of the mouth of babes today, we have heard from a girl from a private school in New South Wales who thought that her parents were buying something else for her, that what is going on is a business model. Uh, So the Australian Education Union is on to all of this. They are aware of this possible tsunami. And the New South Wales Teachers Federation has always had uh, a strong stance, usually on state aid. In fact, the dogs were in part started by the New South Wales Teachers Federation. I know because I was there Um, and I was a teacher in New South Wales in 1964. But, um, well, a bit later than that, uh, in 1969 when we first went to to the polls and we did very well too. So um, I find this all very interesting. We warned about what was going to happen and now it is happening. And to see what happens in a deregulated environment in education, look at what has happened to vocational education and training in Australia because the profit motive dictates what's going to be taught, who teaches and how it's assessed. And in that world, the immediate victims are always the students, public education and the teaching profession. And ultimately, the losers, the community, which is forced to pay literally a very high price for an education of very questionable standards. Well, already in England, you can see the problems that have arisen. Uh, You see, not everybody wants to teach for these kind of people. Teachers who have got a degree and who know what they are doing actually have skills that are available for a much wider market and they walk away from this kind of thing. You're not going to keep your teachers and the UK is having this problem. The word crisis is not an exaggeration, we're told by the BBC, because they are confronted in the UK with a classroom crisis. And this crisis is coming here to Australia too. Teachers who are worth their salt are not going to be not going to put up with the kind of treatment that the governments, uh, particularly uh, right-wing governments like we have in Canberra and New South Wales, and also the um, the private enterprise people, they don't put up with what's handed out to them. Uh, the leader of the um, the teachers over in the UK, of the he- the head teachers union, is telling people there's a crisis because schools cannot recruit the teachers they need. And for some posts, such as the head of maths, he says they're just as rare as hen's teeth. 
And one unintended consequence of all this in a deregulated market is that schools are having to spend their already stretched budgets on recruitment agencies and finders' fees. Uh, the National Association of Head Teachers says a survey of members shows that some schools are having to pay £10,000 sterling to fill a single vacancy. And we know that the UK is poaching teachers from Victoria and Australia. How do I know this? Well, Robert will tell you all about it. Uh, the National Association of Teachers is then in trouble. It suggests that 59% of schools advertising for staff have struggled to find someone and a further 20% had actually failed completely. So they're not filling the vacancies, which means that there won't be teachers in classrooms in front of children. Well, I suppose some people say, well, why worry? You can just put them in front of a computer and they can learn themselves. They can play games all day. Because after all, there's money to be made in making up games, so they might as well just play games. Uh, so the poorer areas, of course, are the worst off. John Howson, who's the visiting professor at Oxford Brooks and the fellow at Oxford University, has been monitoring the teacher's job market for more than 30 years, and he says that this is the worst recruitment problem since 2001-2, when some pupils had to be sent home because of lack of staff. And like any storm, it's caused by a combination of factors all coming together. Uh, the economy might be picking up, so more companies are recruiting, and that means more options for graduates. And who'll go into teaching when you're treated the way you are? Uh, and uh, if you've got, can get a better job somewhere else. It's often seen as a safe haven in a recession, but one wonders whether this is the case anymore. And when the economy improves, it becomes harder for schools to recruit and retain good people. And the same thing is happening in the United States. And the, they do find, of course, that teachers who are recruited in a recession are often better qualified and they're likely to get better results. But, of course, when the economy improves, they're also the ones that have got, will, will leave and go elsewhere unless they are treated as professionals. And there are always particular subject areas that for many years have had difficulties, such as maths and science. And, of course, we're seeing this here in Australia as well. There are geographical pockets also. Essex and Hertfordshire seem to have particular shortages, and we see this again in Australia too. But Australia has a very particular problem. We have a lot of old and experienced teachers who are coming up for retirement. And uh, who is producing our teachers. I'm not sure that Melbourne University is doing a particularly good job. And um, we do produce teachers, but they don't last for more than one or two years because it is, in fact, a very stressful and very difficult job. But we'll have a little break now for an announcement. Get the lowdown on the know-how, the food know-how. Victorian households are throwing away over $2,000 a year in wasted food. That's just not smart. You can be smarter than the average Victorian by joining Food Know How and learn simple steps to reduce your food waste, save money and protect the environment. This program is free to residents of Yarra, Moreland, Darabin, Maribyrnong or Whittlesea. Visit foodknowhow.org.au. 
Funding for the project provided by Victorian Government's Metropolitan Local Government Waste and Resource Recovery Fund. The Food Know-How Program is a 3CR supporter. You're all invited to the Sampari Art Exhibition and Sale, organised by the Federal Republic of West Papua Women's Office at the ACU Gallery on Brunswick Street, Fitzroy. The Sampari Exhibition will also include a host of exciting events, including poetry, literature, the environment and film between December 4th and 13th. For more information, go to dfat.federalrepublicofwestpapua.org or call Bronwyn on 0413-988-280. The Federal Republic of West Papua Women's Office is a Tricia supporter. Politicians and mainstream media are fueling anti-Muslim hate. Attacks on Muslims are increasing and the fear is causing some women to restrict their movements. Worse, an anti-Muslim political party is launching in October. It's time for people who oppose bigotry to organise. Stand up and speak out against Islamophobia. Sign the statement at www.voicesagainstbigotry.org and ask others to do the same. Don't be a bystander. Voices Against Bigotry is a 3CR supporter. For three years, teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. We're proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. Our education is not for profit! Our education is not for profit! You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Well, uh, we usually like to uh, sign off with a good news story here at the Dogs. Uh, And really, the good news story is that we are still here and our public system is still here. And in, in many cases, just at the school level, wonderful things are happening. And I know this even from my local schools. Uh, there are very dedicated and very, very skilled teachers, particularly at the primary level in our public schools. And that is a good news story. But we have to look after them. And we have to make sure that our public system will be there for our great-grandchildren as well as our grandchildren. Uh, a semi-good news story is uh, here on the Save Our Schools pro- uh, website at uh, Save Our Schools. Uh, there was a schools funding furphy. We're constantly being told, aren't we, by our, um, our Commonwealth Government how much money they have put into our, pub- our, our education systems. I don't think they know what the the term public education means. I'm not sure that they ever use it particularly. Um, But on November the 2nd, you might have seen the Federal Education Minister, Simon Birmingham, saying that over the last decade or two, we've spent a lot more in school education and we've seen many of our international ratings and comparisons go backwards in that time. Now, on October the 30th, the Department of Education Secretary, Michael Brunig, 
Niggs, I think it is, speaking at the World Teachers Day launch in Sydney, said, To those who say Australia has poured money into education with little to show for it, let me say that the evidence is clear that levels of investment in this country have lagged behind other countries, despite data showing that education produces tangible benefits for students and the economy. And since 2001, according to the World Bank, the estimated economic return to any additional year of education in Australia has been consistently higher than the OECD average and shows a strong increasing trend. Uh, And using the most recent estimates, Australia has the highest return in the OECD for an additional year of secondary education. But actual Australian expenditure on education as a proportion of GDP has been substantially lower than the OECD average. So if we are doing better on less money, that means that the teachers are abroad and they must be pretty good particularly in our public schools and particularly in those underfunded, disadvantaged schools where the dedicated school teachers are still abroad. And that is the good news. We're still in there and we still have dedicated teachers. Uh, And it is a wonderful, rewarding job when you are dealing with children who want to learn. And if you can keep that spark alive, then our future is assured. So that's about it for now. Uh, But uh, if you want to find out more about us, I'm just being reminded here, please go to our website at www.adogs.info. And that's all for now. So bye for now, and we hope that you will be back with us at 12 noon next Saturday.
where workers strike and organize. It's there you find your hill. It's there you find your hill. I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he.